Finding the perfect developer isn't easy, but at Upwork, we found her. She's in Prague, between the ideal cup of coffee and a truly impressive synthesizer collection. And you can find her right now on Upwork.com. When the world is your workforce, finding the perfect project manager, designer, developer, or whomever you may need tends to fall right into place. Find top-rated talent who can start today on Upwork.com. Yes, it's on time. Don't look so surprised. I actually think that this is the second episode in a row that has been on time. But don't worry, there will be plenty of late episodes in the future. But I was so excited to release this episode, I couldn't wait. If you enjoyed this show, subscribe wherever you downloaded this and new episodes will land on your device as if by magic. If you like this free, free show, please leave a lovely review on iTunes. I left one for myself and if you leave a review, you can work out which one is mine. And don't worry, you'll know exactly which one it is. I'm all those things. Hello, you are very welcome to another episode of Fascinated. When I started this podcast, me and my friend John made a list of people that it would be great to interview. Some of them we knew we would never get. We knew they would be too hard to find or they'd be difficult to entice to do a podcast with somebody they'd never heard of. The Irish singer-songwriter Naomi Coleman was on that list, but we were never able to find her. We tried Facebook and Twitter and then we kind of gave up because the internet makes people lazy. The downside of being a comedian is that I work almost every weekend. I've recently started a slot on Neil Delamere's Sunday morning radio show, which means I don't get finished work until 12 o'clock on Sunday. So for me, 12 o'clock on Sunday is the equivalent of everybody else's 5 o'clock on Friday. So I have this ritual. I go for a coffee and I sit there with my iPod on shuffle for an hour, just to chill out and relax after the hectic working week. Three days. Two weeks ago, Naomi Coleman's Ruthless Affection came on and I listened to her album Silver Wrists from start to finish. I was a teenager when I first got this album and Naomi was a teenager when she wrote most of it. So I think for a time I felt, Naomi Coleman is the only one who understands me. So after the last chords of the last song, Hold Tight, and then the hidden track, I got very frustrated and tweeted, Question for Twitter. Where the hell has Naomi Coleman gone? I kept refreshing to see if someone would reply. And while I was swiping, I thought to myself, why don't albums have hidden tracks anymore? It's like finding a tenor in jeans you haven't worn in ages. And then I had a brainwave. If there was somebody that would know about the Irish pop scene in the 90s, it's Dave Moore. Dave Moore is a pop producing, radio presenting, guitar playing, live tweeting legend who has a show on Today FM in Ireland with Dermot Whelan. Why hadn't I thought of this before? I was furious. So I started to tweet Dave. Where the bloody hell? Then I thought, you know what? It's not Dave's fault, Garrod. Dial it back. Sure enough, a few minutes later, I got a tweet back. Hi, Garrod. Naomi is A, one of the nicest humans alive, B, one of my favourite collaborators ever, and C, married to Katy Perry's drummer. 
Later that day, I got a text from Naomi herself. I was driving and my boyfriend read it for me because he's very controlling and I nearly crashed. But then I always nearly crash. If you don't know Naomi, you are about to. Naomi Coleman was in secondary school and gigging as a backing singer when she was the winner of the 2FM Play Song Contest and she was offered a record deal by one of the judges. Four years later, she released her first album, Silver Wrists, and she had hits with songs like Care About You, Ruthless Affection, and Sometimes. Now that album straight away, it brings me back to the summer that I bought it. All of the songs are catchy and also the lyrics, they're so sweet and dark. They just perfectly capture that over emotional introspective phase you go through when you're a teenager. So let's set the scene. In 1996, Jarvis Cocker had jumped on stage with Michael Jackson at the Brits. Sinead O'Connor was on a break, Take That had just split up and the world was obsessed with Jagged Little Pill. On the 23rd of June 1996, Silver Wrists was released following on the success of two hit singles. The album was a hit in Europe, Japan and Ireland and Naomi toured for two years promoting it. Following that, she collaborated with the dance band Aurora and they had a big hit in the UK with a cover of Duran Duran's Ordinary World and a big hit in Australia with a cover of Tasman Archer's Sleeping Satellite, which was followed by a cover of The Cure's Love Song. In 2000, her hugely anticipated second album was released with the lead single My Star and the follow-up Sugar Me. And then Naomi just disappeared. After her second record, Naomi up sticks and moved to Los Angeles, where she continued to write and perform. She made another as yet unreleased album called Survive, and as Dave said, she's married to Katy Perry's drummer and has two children. She took a break from music when her children came along, but she said that her son's school recently held a music week and she thought a children's songwriting class. And this has really whet her appetite for writing more music and getting back out playing live. Hello? Oh, hey, how are you? Come on up, it's the third floor. Hey, how's it going? How are you? Lovely to meet you. It's lovely to meet you. How are you? When Naomi arrived at my apartment, she had with her some fancy cupcakes that she'd bought. So we made a cup of coffee and got chatting straight away. And it was only a half an hour later that we decided we should probably start the interview. She's just absolutely lovely and we talked for easily another hour and a half after I switched off the mics. She's absolutely one of my new favourite people. She has been found, the fabulous Naomi Coleman. I'm alive and well. You're Thank you well. for rescuing me, for finding me. <laughs> You're so welcome. So, um, so tell us, what have you been up to? Oh Lord, um, uh, I have been going backwards. Well, I, I've had babies. I was, I've um, a six-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and I'm a mammy. After Bring Down the Moon was my second record, and I moved over to America. After so you went I finished all LA. that. I ran away to LA. Is what I did. Your, your second record was three or four years after Silver Wrists, which it was. was the first. Yeah, Silver Wrists came out in 1996, June, I believe. And I was just saying, I only know that because I looked it up on the internet last night. Um, it doesn't seem like 1996. 
Does it not? No. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a long really? time ago to me. Um, no, a long time ago and a short time ago. You know the way that yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. I do have very, very vivid memories of that time in my life. Definitely. It must have been crazy things. because you were you were very young, weren't you? I mean, I was. Yeah. Um, I was seven. I mean, you're I mean, twenty-eight. <laughs> That's right, I am. <laughs> you a child prodigy. It's amazing. I was six years old when Silver Wrist came out. I was just very tall. Um, no, I, I, did, I got really, really, really lucky is, is what kind of happened to me very young. I, I was singing. I mean, I started playing gigs when I was 16 and um, that kind of led to making um, a demo tape which led to this and that and the other and got offered a record deal when I was in sixth year in school and I turned it down like a no mad way. woman I did I turned it down because I I was at the time singing in a Dublin band called the Wild Oscars who oh, were yeah, around yeah. Um, back then a fantastic band I was a backing singer with them and uh, I was very happy singing with them doing my thing with them and then I also kind of thought wasn't that keen on school to begin with and I thought if I sign a record deal I'll never finish school and it'll be a disaster so I'm just not going to do it right now and then I left school and realized that it was the worst decision I'd ever made so I rang (laughs) (laughs) I rang up EMI and begged them for my record deal and thankfully they said yeah sure here have it so that's how that's how the deal came about and then when I was I recorded that album Silver Wrists when I was um, 17, 18 yeah over in Bedfordshire in England in a beautiful little English town in um, a gorgeous home studio belonging to Rod Argent who was in that band The Zombies oh wow remember that the time um, it's the time of the season for love oh yeah yeah that one um so his house that was produced by a guy called peter van hook who um is a fantastic fantastic producer he'd um his kind of most notable album was tanita tickeram's album do you remember tanita um, tickeram twist in my sobriety sobriety. yeah yeah Yeah. um so yeah i worked with him on that album because silverus i I was saying this to you when you came in here like that was the soundtrack to my leave insert or okay. there around yes. you know because we went to Galway and we went to Monroe's on Shop Street Beautiful and we bought ourselves like myself and one of my friends John uh, he bought a signed copy and I had the normal copy because uh-huh. I had signed copies left oh, <laughs> wow. I was pretty annoyed <laughs> and then um, like I think we played that for the whole two weeks that we were in Galway mm. and it was funny because I went through the track list this morning and I was like yeah I still know every single song <laughs> yeah. that's so lovely to hear that makes me very very happy to hear Gosh. and wasn't it didn't that album do really well in Japan it did I'm that a must living, have been a shock like you were 19 cliche, and big, you're, big, you're in big in Japan yeah I nowhere else but Japan yeah for for whatever reason I mean I think they were very at the time I think Irish music was very much in vogue in Japan it was kind of the, the trendy thing at the time so I yeah the album came out at the right time and it did it sold an awful lot of copies over there thankfully so wow. it was bonkers because I remember the first time I went over and um, you know I had no idea really that it was doing well and there were people waiting to get autographs at the hotel and waiting for me to, to see me you know and I was just oh my God, and Ireland, Ireland's not really like that. No, like they don't. No, <laughs> no. they wouldn't give it satisfaction <laughs> now asking for a autograph. Ah, people were always lovely, but I just don't think I was ever that well known here. Do you know what I mean? So, so yeah, Japan was amazing for me, and getting to play over there and travel around and it was just 
very very beautiful place and um, they loved the music you know I just like the audiences were so receptive and genuinely seemed to really enjoy the music you know which was always nice when and you get up you, on stage yes exactly <laughs> Silver Wrists was songs that kind of made up from the first few songs that I'd ever written in my life to the most to, to the songs that I wrote right before I went into recording the album so some of the songs on that album I wrote when I was 15, 16, and some of them I wrote when I was 17. That huge, that yeah, huge stretch of time between. But in you were changed from <laughs> Totally different. But in fairness, I suppose at that age, you do kind of change. Yeah, a you lot do. You change between really quickly. 15 yeah. and 17, but you know. It, so. it must be such a bizarre thing to leave school and then say, I'm, you know, I'm going to make a record. Yeah, I'm, I guess. I mean, no one else in my year did it. I'm sure lots of other people have done it since in, in my school. And it's a lot easier to make records now, too, which is awesome. You can do it yourself. But yeah, it was it was very surreal. And I was uh, the one thing I would say is I was constantly I don't think I took it for granted. Like I was genuinely so amazed that anyone would want to listen to my music or, you know, want me to record it or want me to move forward with it. I was just always like, really? okay that's great I loved every second of it and just tried to kind of you know suck as much out of it as I could while I was doing it you that's know? great actually because a lot of people that I have interviewed they said oh god it was just it was like a day job and it went so quickly and that, it's amazing to look back and go yeah I really did that for what it was especially with the first album I really it was it was it was a really magic thing like I, I loved it I loved doing it and then you know because for me I'd never been in a proper recording studio the demos that I made to, for that album were done with amazing people but you know in, in home studios in their house so you know it was a very kind of small setup and then to go from that to Abbey Road Studios and record an album Abbey, and, that's the Beatles know, isn't it? yeah we did we did all the strings for the record and all of the mixing for the record were done in Abbey Road and I'm a huge huge Beatles fan and to get to go there with my music and, and do that was just so amazing oh, wow. absolutely amazing and the Beatles were actually um they were doing their anthology at the time it was around the time when they were remixing for the for the Beatles oh, anthologies wow. so George Martin would be like just swanning around the canteen in Abbey Road while I was there eating my lunch and I would just be like holy moly George oh, Martin right. having a cup of tea at the table next to me everyone else was in yeah. school they're just what are they doing <laughs> it's rag week <laughs> Wow, so that was that was really cool. So, so when uh, when Silver Wrist was finished, mm -hmm. um, to then try and repeat that, yeah, you to to write yeah. another album, a difficult second album. I I did keep writing, a, you know, a lot during that. So what happened was, yeah, I started demoing for the second album, and uh, you know, to be honest with you, I I think in hindsight. Um, what the label were looking for from me and the, the direction I wanted to go in were, you know, a little bit different. Like I was, you know, growing up a little bit and I was definitely kind of veering more down to the singer songwritery type of avenue. And at the time, I know that, you know, people were really conscious of wanting some stuff that they played on the radio and a hit. And, you know, yeah, the industry yeah. was starting to kind of take a little bit of a, you know, a look at itself yeah, a bit yeah. of a nose. Um, <clears throat> So it was hard to come up with the songs for that album. Like I won't lie, because I definitely I submitted a lot of stuff, and a lot of stuff got sent back to me with a eh, no, keep trying, really? keep trying. Yeah, there was a, there was definitely like a difference of vision there. So I then started doing a lot of co-writes as well for that record and writing with people, um, which was really enjoyable because I'd never done that before. I'd never written a song with somebody else. So I did a lot of writing in the UK. I wrote and went to Nashville. Go, you know, wrote oh, wow. with fantastic writers over there and. Um, I got to do, 
you know, Miles Copeland. I just this is like the biggest name dropping thing of my life right now. But as I continue what, with that's my exactly name, what drop, this is. Just, um, I'm gonna just close that oh, door because I forgot the bus is going away. I mean, there's no buses. I live in a very fancy area. They, they've somehow made their way into the the country estate. The, yeah, it's they, a tourist yeah, they've bus. done that. They're coming to look at your fancy house. That's what's happening. Um, so, yeah, so you went to Nashville. Oh, I did go to, I did yeah. Go to Nashville. Yeah, wrote, wrote with a bunch of writers there. And that was amazing as well to see how people write very much like a clock in, clock out. No disrespect to unbelievable writers, but they, these people were able to actually just sit down and write a song. Let's pick a let's pick a theme. Let's write a song about it right now, and let's do it, and then it's wow. finished and it's done. Yeah. Whereas up until then, I'd been the kind of writer where I'd have to be going through some like emotional devastation, <laughs> breakup, disaster, and you know then I'd write my song about it. I you know I couldn't just sit down and write for the sake of writing. So that was amazing to see that, and I learned a lot from that. And then, um, my name dropping one was Miles Copeland, who manages Sting. Oh, it's a huge castle in the south of France, similar to your one that we're in now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, he has, or he had, at least back then, um, a yearly songwriter, um, what's the word? Like a retreat. A retreat is exactly the word I'm looking for, where songwriters from all over the world would come together and stay there for a week and write songs. And he'd loads of recording studios set up all around his castle and you'd record your songs and, and you'd just be paired off with people every morning. So, you know, one morning it was me and Howard Jones and Chesney Hawks. And me. Chesney Hawks. Howard Jones, Chesney Hawks and me went off to write a song together in the castle one day and I loved it. It was a great song and amazing people to work with but it was just a bizarre, you know, a, a, like a crazy bunch of people all thrown in together to write songs together and it was now, amazing. I have to correct you because the biggest name drop is not Miles Copeland. The biggest name drop here is Chesney Hawks. You wrote a song the with Chesney. Oh my God. <laughs> and what, what happened to the song? Nothing. <laughs> It remains the one and only. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. So, so, yeah. How does it work in those situations, though, where there's a whole lot of songwriters together? uh, Do you, so say you and Mm -hmm. Chesser, you write a song, do you decide, well, I'll have that, or or do you both pitch it for a record? That's a great question, actually. I don't know. it, it never happened to me. It's strange. It's strange with the songs I wrote. I didn't have to battle anyone for it. Maybe there could be hits out there. <laughs> could be hits out there that you co-wrote and you don't know. Do you know that's true. That's I'm very up the true. Yeah, they could be there. Let's let's start looking. Um, no, generally, I suppose when it's like three people like that, like I don't think I was over there because I was about to write an album. So I think you know. The, the, the emphasis would have been in a group of three. I don't think Howard Jones was about to release an album. Okay. I don't think Chesney was either. So I think it was just kind of songs for me in oh, that wow. in that setup. So, but they were they were amazing, amazingly lovely people and really, really talented people. Yeah. Oh, it was, yeah, really amazing. And so I got to do such great things, such adventurous things, and I yeah. felt so out of my depth. And every time it would happen, I'd expect someone to like tap me on the shoulder and ask me to leave. I didn't know what I was <laughs> doing there, but and made really wonderful friends. And you know, it's lovely when you do something to create creative to be around. Yeah, yeah. Creative people. It's... I mean, that album, uh, Bring Down the Moon. Is, mm-hmm. I love that album. Um, and and you can hear Thank the you. two different sounds though. Yeah, it, they like, are like pretty the, different. It's real. Just, it has those like real sort of dancey kind it's of. It's a lot, a lot more, a lot of programming going song on. Songwriter sound mm-hmm. as well at the same yeah, time. Yeah, but which yeah, is which is what cool. I was trying to go go for with that because I think at the time as well that was, you know, it, 
music had moved on and was the whole programming, you know, the emphasis or the emphasis was very much so on programming, drum beats, samples, that kind of stuff. So it was kind of, yeah, trying to mix the two. And I got to work with the great, great people on that. first album the second album you did those collaborations for those the the dance singles i um, did i did uh, ordinary, uh, world. ordinary world yeah that was um with a dance a group called aurora simon greenaway and sasha collinson and uh, they yeah i just got called up one day and asked to sing on that they were on like a sister label to the label i was on and they've been looking for a singer for that song and their a and r man had heard a preview of bring down the moon of my album okay. and um, he played a, one of my songs down the phone to them and was like here does this sound like the kind of voice you're looking for and it did so they called me up and i thought sure yeah why not it'll be, it'll be a bit of fun because that was a big hit wasn't it it was a big hit yeah i got to number five in the uk oh, got cool. to do top of the pops got to do this morning as well now the, that's, the, that's that's it for the me the pinnacle the pinnacle right there this morning this morning oh, wow. richard and judy were not on that it was one of the I weeks when richard and judy aren't there so that was devastating and who was on um fern and your man the scottish guy john leslie god yeah but they were lovely but they weren't not they weren't richard and judy, richard and judy so God, that must have been devastating. Yeah, but it was, still brilliant. It was brilliant, but you know, I, I still got to like touch the couch and exactly. you know, do crazy stuff or stuff like that. Um but yeah, that was that was a really fun thing to do. Because again, it was a totally different style for me musically to do and um and uh but it was great. And it was great to actually not be totally on my own in charge of a project either, yeah. to get to work with two other because I was the, just the singer it was their their project yeah, and it yeah. was a featuring me so um it was it was uh it was great fun they're lovely guys really really nice people so we did a great laugh and toured all over europe did all kinds of um tv shows and you know radio road shows and nightclubs and young people things so and then when that was done there was it was actually about a year between that um and when bring down the moon came out so there was like a gap a big enough gap and then bring down the moon came out and yeah did it all over again toured with that and did the rounds and the singles and and when did you decide like after bring down the moon that you moved to los angeles um i moved to los angeles in 2000 and it was either the end of 2003 beginning of 2004 sometime around then um so it was i think it was probably about a year after the last single came out maybe or maybe a little less than that and I just, I, you know, EMI and myself had gone our separate ways. I just kind of decided I wanted a fresh start. And I thought it's going to be tricky to do that here. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to go somewhere where the sun shines. So yeah, <laughs> California. That's, that's a fantastic starting point. <laughs> doesn't it though? Oh, California seems good. It really shines, doesn't <laughs> it? Does it? My God. Relentlessly. <laughs> relentless sunshine and positivity over there. So, uh yeah, I I um I went over there and obviously no one had a clue who I was, which was which was nice, you know, because you're yeah. starting afresh. Um, and I got into with a great great group of people, basically thanks to my really really good friend Anne Marie Cullen, who's a musician, and she um 
she's an Irish girl but was living there at the time and she had a wonderful community musicians around her and I just kind of got welcomed with open arms by these very nice American people and started playing gigs and doing sessions and I did a fair bit of session work singing TV shows and ads and back and for people and then I got a phone call one day at the last minute because Robin Gibb from the Bee Gees was looking for a backing singer to play at the Hollywood Bowl the next day. Oh my God. Um, he was being inaugurated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, uh, um, no, it wasn't him. It was Brian. Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys was being inaugurated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And for some reason, Robin Gibb was performing out of that night. So uh, I got called up to be like a fill-in or a last minute backing singer for him and that led on to way more gigs with him so I toured with Robin Gibb for a while singing no Bee songs singing oh the high bits oh god really <laughs> you know another one of those situations where I was like wow what yeah. am I doing here this is great but how did this happen what is Robin Gibb like he was lovely he was he was really very very nice very focused on his music you know very because you often wonder I find myself wondering when somebody reaches that degree of success yeah. like you're a BG you don't ever yeah. have to get out of bed again if you don't want surely, to surely let yeah. alone get on a stage I mean I absolutely wouldn't no, nor, nor would I <laughs> nor not. would I creativity <laughs> my foot no no <laughs> I'm rich now <laughs> I am reclining for the you next five understand. years understand <laughs> But no, he wanted to get on the stage and do it. And um, you could see that, like, he, he loved it. He was very quiet and very shy. You know, it did not not the life and soul of the room when he'd walk in or anything, but when you talked to him, very, very kind and nice man. And we um, toured with an orchestra as well. So it was like the a huge Philharmonic Orchestra doing versions of, of his songs. Uh, wow. There was a band with the orchestra, but it was, you know, kind of like big versions of it like that. So it was a hoot. That's amazing. It was a hoot. There's a DVD out there. You can find it. Oh, well, oh my God. I'm totally <laughs> they gonna, made a concert I'm going to go on YouTube. <laughs> as soon as we're done, and have a look at that. That's amazing. And yeah. so the, the Brian Wilson tribute, that must have been... Oh, incredible. And being just being at the Hollywood Bowl, like, yeah. you know, and being on the stage. It was the first time at the Hollywood Bowl, and then I was actually, on, actually stage. on stage. So that was... That was great. And yeah, Brian Wilson, I mean, you go on to incredible, incredible musician. I actually, so. I interviewed his daughter, Carney Wilson. Oh, that's and right, she you did. Was, um, she was hilarious. Oh, just yeah. Just unbelievably brilliant. Yeah. Like, but they, they, and he seems to be so uh, almost possessed by music. Yes. For years. It's just like, yeah. it just happens in his head the whole time. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, God. And creates the most, you know, wonderful, crazy sound and stuff. Like, just changed music, really, you know, with a lot of the stuff that he did. So, God. Yeah. So, so that is nice company to be in. Very nice company. Very nice company. Yeah. Absolutely. Felt slightly out of my depth, but uh, great, great company. <laughs> and, and while you were in Los Angeles, because um, oh, Los Angeles, I just love that place. I know. I, just, I know. I can see it in your eyes. Yeah. You're getting it was misty. just like, oh. <laughs> oh fantastic I had such a nice time although I saw a snake on Venice Beach and I'll never forget it as long as it is like a, a real man, snake or a, a real snake oh. a man holding a snake and I nearly died oh, okay oh so it was a tame snake there was a domestic oh, yeah, yeah, snake no, it, was a, it wasn't yeah, it was like a, a rattler in the can no 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 no, no no god was it the man who's in his underwear on the roller skates 
Because he sometimes has a snake, doesn't oh. he? Or I don't know. No, the cowboy guy. Isn't there a cowboy guy I used to see? He's in films. He's in the films on the telly. Oh, see right. Oh, no, I was only there for one day. This hot is... pants. And uh, roller, maybe they're rollerblades now. Anyway, sorry, I'm digressing. Snake. I, well, I, just, I just ran away. I screaming. Screaming, went, ah. screaming Irishman. Okay. <laughs> That's the only thing I don't sorry, like about I LA. Everything else is wonderful. Awful. awful. <laughs> you poor thing. It's traumatised. <laughs> <laughs> and while you were out there, like, because this is the lovely thing about interviewing you is that last night you sent me a copy of some of the stuff that you'd recorded out there. Yes. That is really brilliant stuff. Gemma Hayes you know do you like Gemma Hayes yeah, yeah, yeah. she sings on um, the Gave It All Away that's Gemma no Hayes way. who sings on that with me that beautiful voice that comes in that's like ten times nicer than mine it's yeah. Gemma Hayes deep breath dive below where seldom they dare to go washed away I was gigging, yeah. I, I was playing a lot of show, shows. They're called shows over there, not gigs. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I used to think, like, what is, am I going to be, like, there's jazz hands, there's song and dance numbers, okay, I'm yeah. putting on a show. No, I'm a miserable singer-songwriter with my acoustic guitar. But, um, yeah, I, I did play a lot, and there was a fantastic scene over there of musicians and songwriter nights and a great support network. So you'd be playing to full rooms, which is wow. lovely and not always guaranteed in music. Yeah. And, you know, I played with... You know, at the time, other people <clears throat> who were on the same scene, you know, were people like I played Sarah Bareilles. I don't know if you, you know, she's, she's quite well known over there. Um, I mean, Katy Perry was playing the acoustic oh, okay. gigs at the time around then. And, um, oh, Lord, there's probably loads of other names I could drop now. And I can't think of any of them. But, you know, it was it was like a good time where a lot of very talented people were kind of about to make it big, oh, but wow. hadn't made it big yet. So it was really good quality music so it was great to be it around it makes that. such a difference though to have those big rooms full That's oh, yeah. I, I couldn't believe that sure. about Los Angeles even that, yeah. stuff on a Monday or a Tuesday mm-hmm. like, where are these people coming from mm-hmm. like, this is amazing yeah because people will go out every night of the week yeah, just, yeah. And, and not just to see you know music or comedy yeah. not necessarily a person but it's yeah, yeah. it's amazing that it's just these big rooms and they're all full yeah. and everyone just wants to have a good time it's lovely it's yeah and so I, d- I did I wanted to continue the music and then I wrote a whole load of new songs and was dying to record them and just managed to you know find the right people to record them with really talented musicians who wanted to play songs with me and so yeah I recorded you know way more than an album's worth of stuff over there and some of it ended up um on TV stuff, there's a sh- there's a, a show. It got can- got cancelled shortly after they started using my music. Oh, called God. Guiding Light. It was one of those, you oh, know, yeah. those daytime soaps, those amazing yes. American yeah, yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, and Guiding Light was like the longest running of. The- it was like the, all my children's and all of oh, those. Yeah, but yeah. Guiding Light was like the longest running out of all of them. And um, they used a bunch of my music on that show. And it was actually, it was very exciting because it was for, I believe it was the first ever lesbian love story that had happened no on Game Light. Yes, and I was the soundtrack to said story. So that was awesome. It was brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, so you can find little YouTube clips of two very intense women going through some kind of hugely dramatic emotional moment. And then my song starts wafting off in the back, you know, playing in the background. Now I blame you, right? 
And you gave me this gift, this heart. And it was open and generous and suddenly it's like I could feel everything you ever felt for her. Very, very um, cool to be part of that. And then they cancelled the show. So hopefully... We've gone too far. Too far. <laughs> it was probably my music. Yeah, that was, that was cool. I thought there's a really cool clip uh, that I found last night and it's of you singing somebody else's song. But it's a song called Don't Fuck With Jesus. <laughs> That's... <laughs> it is such a brilliant song. And then the song. other guy sings uh, Your, Arms. Your Arms from yeah. Bring Down the Moon. Did your you see, I did my research, good yeah. Lord. You just seem far too sweet to be singing Don't Fuck With <laughs> Such a good song. Um, it's a brilliant song. It was a, it was a night at a friend of mine organised called Friends Cover Friends. So everybody, you were paired with somebody and you had to sing one of their songs and they had to sing one of your songs. So that's how that cool. came about. So <clears throat> the gentleman who wrote Don't Fuck With Jesus is called Ray Don, is his name. And it's he's a really talented musician and he's also a comedian so he oh, he does okay. he has this persona called Ray Don he is really from Louisiana in real life but he hams it up totally and is kind of like it's Ray Don and the the white trash no the backwash band the white trash backwash band and they do like show you know very funny songs basically like that very tongue-in-cheek stuff so Yes, Brilliant. I know I, I never to... thought the angelic name my mammy was never prouder, let me tell you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Never. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you came back to Ireland, you're back in Ireland a couple of years and you mm -hmm. two little boys. I do, yes. yes. So, um, and music-wise, what you were saying that just recently you've started to... I've started to, start yeah. to feel it again. I'm feeling it, I'm getting back. Well, do you know, because you know what happened to me? No joke, I Luke, my six-year-old... Um, while I was pregnant with him, I was still gigging and playing and doing a lot of stuff in America, so I was thinking this... This baby is just even in utero. He is surrounded by music. He shall be the most musical child this world has ever seen. And uh, so he's born and we're getting along grand. And then I have these visions of, you know, singing lullabies to him endlessly as we're like running through meadows, holding hands. And I opened my mouth to sing to him the first time and he burst into tears, like sobbing, like the sad wobbly lip, like everything. I stopped singing. He stopped crying. I start singing. He starts crying again. This this was a pattern that basically has not ended. If I open my mouth to sing in front of Luke, he gets so upset. He gets he hates it. So I stopped really singing a lot because generally, as much as you want to keep your passion alive, if it makes your kid bawl all the time, you tend to stop. So there was a good stretch of time there where I didn't do any music, even like sing along to the radio. Um, which was kind of weird. <laughs> um, thankfully, the news... Censored by your child. <laughs> I know. I don't know what he was trying to tell me or what, but uh, thankfully now I uh, can go to a different room and sing and it's fine. But uh, I... Yeah, and then I had another little boy a year and a half ago and he loves the music. 
thankfully. Okay. No favourites <laughs> there, but he loves the music. Uh, so yeah, I have started writing. I've started writing again and I'm going to start, you know, getting back out and trying to play songs in front of human beings again, which will be terrifying and thrilling and great. I Brilliant. <laughs> I can't wait. Thanks. You may be, the, may be a big room filled with you. And just the one me, I'll be there. You can, you can find it, yeah. Because I did, I was just saying to you earlier that I saw, I saw you play live once and that was in the Virgin Megastore and oh God, I miss the Virgin Megastore. <laughs> so do I. So do Wasn't it amazing there? It was brilliant. It was like the place that you would go on a Saturday. <sighs> just only there. It's where I go in and buy my cassettes. I know. I said, we're, we're old. I know, I feel ancient. <laughs> Very old. And it's even, <laughs> uh, I said to somebody recently, I was talking about CD single two. Do you remember those CD single one and CD single two? Yeah. And there's never been going. What are we talking Why about? Why would they put them on two separate CDs? Oh, yeah, God. it's gone now though, isn't it? Virgin Meg's store is gone. It's yeah. gone, yeah. yeah. All yeah. the big ones are gone. It's all changed. It's all changed. <laughs> it's all changed now. Back in my day. Do you know what's still there though? The sound cellar. I was walking down NASA Street and the sound cellar is still there. Yes. That's where it I is used to go there. when I was a rocker. When you were a to rocker. Buy my, uh, to buy my rock music. And also, it was the place you go that if the tickets are sold out somewhere else. They were always. It was always, always one or two. Other There's always some floating around the sound yeah. cellar. <laughs> Looking for Rihanna tickets right now. They're probably down there in the sound cellar. Yeah, don't forget that. Cool. There you heard her here. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, it's been fantastic to talk to you. It's, it's been, been so, so amazing to talk to you. I can't, even, I can't even remember if it's something I've forgotten that I was supposed to be asking you. There may have been many because I've gone off on very long and meandering tangents. Not at all. <laughs> I don't get to talk to adults very often, is the problem. So I'm not shouting at you and telling you to put something down or to stop you know, I'm not so shaking sure. I'm your brother. <laughs> so I'm trying to actually converse. So it, this may be a disaster when we listen back, but I've loved it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. The brilliant Naomi Coleman there. I'll be keeping in touch with her so when there is news of gigs or releases you'll hear about it here. You can check out her stuff on YouTube and her second album is on iTunes. I've no idea why the first one isn't up there but when it is I will let you know. Big big thanks to Naomi for being my guest and also very special thanks to Dave Moore. Even more thanks to the lovely people at Headstuff Podcast Network. Check out their podcasts and articles on headstuff.org. Also I've been asked about live podcast dates and the answer is yes. There is going to be uh, some live fascinating dates where it'll be kind of like a live show and the and the the podcast will be recorded and then it'll be downloadable um but oh, i'm a bit worried about that i mean do you really want to see what goes into the sausage but anyway <laughs> that's all i'm saying yeah there there, there is uh, someone has asked if i would be interested and yeah there is something happening but it's months away yet so i haven't even started to worry about it if there are past guests you would like to see on that let me know Fascinated at headstuff.org if you want to get in touch or at Garrod Farrelly on Twitter. There'll be a new episode soon. Thank you for listening. I still can't think of a name. Oh my god, finding Naomi. Oh. <laughs> this must be what Isaac Newton felt like. Oh my god, do I mean Isaac Newton? Yeah, you do. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. 
Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.